Hey everyone, Jordan here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pops. A familiar friend steps in as a speaker on this episode to bring us a message from the Lord. Chris talks to us about the biggest issue in the church today. It's a challenging message, but I think it's our choice to walk away either offended or challenged. And I believe there's something in this message for everyone, so I hope you're ready. Take it away, Chris. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Presbyterian church right in McCandless, uh, Northmont Presbyterian Church. My mom and dad took my brother and I there from a very, very young age. So we went to Sunday school every single week, pretty much. My, my mom and dad had to drag me out of bed to get to Sunday school. I believe my brother had some water thrown on him a time or two to get him out of bed. But we were there every week. I remember going in. I remember learning the books of the Bible. I remember just running around that church and playing. I remember spaghetti dinners and pancake breakfasts and, and all that stuff. I was just reflecting on this. And my dad's back there, if you guys didn't know this. I remember getting in my little suit when I was, man, probably just in elementary school, maybe middle school, and doing ushering. So uh, in the Presbyterian Church, you had the usher that led you to your seat and handed out all the stuff and, you know, the collection plates. So I, I did that. I remember the pews. Man, those things were brutal. Just hardwood pew, no cushions on them whatsoever. So you're sitting in those pews, your back's hurting, your legs are hurting, everything's hurting. I was playing with all the, you know, the offering envelopes and all those kind of things, you know, drawing pictures on them, probably not paying too much attention. And I remember, and if you go to Northway, Pastor Kent uh, has said the same thing. I remember hearing about the Holy Ghost and going, man, what in the heck is a Holy Ghost? And I don't want anything to do with that thing, man, because that's a, you know, you're a little kid. The Holy Ghost is a little bit scary. So that was my younger years. As I, as I grew older, it was very important to my parents to get me involved in youth group. So my church just happened to start, like kind of do a, a refresh and a restart right when I was entering ninth grade. So as I was entering ninth grade, they just refreshed the whole student ministry youth group program. They brought in a new youth director and I did not want to go. It was another night at church that I just didn't really want to be there. And I remember my mom telling me, you're going, whether you like it or not, I'm dropping you off there, and that's that. And so I begrudgingly was walking up to, and I remember the very first time that I was a youth group, I walked into the, into the church where the youth group was being held, and it was the new youth director and a girl in my class, a ninth grade, a ninth grade girl, and me. That was the youth group. So... I went home and I, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, there is no way I am going back. It's so awkward. And she said, oh, you think so? No, you are going back and you're going to be there every single week. And I remember talking to the, to the youth pastor. I was like, hey, listen, like, you seem like a nice guy. You seem really cool, but this is pretty bad. I got to do something. Like, I have to invite my friends or like, we have to make this cool somehow. And he's like, huh, invite your friends. What a novel concept. That would be a great idea, Chris. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And I was like, well, his name was Alan. I was like, well, Alan, like, no offense, but this is not, like, the most fun thing to invite my friends to. And he said, okay, all right, I got you. He said, what if we planned a mission trip? Wherever you want to go, we'll find a church, we'll find a project, we'll find a purpose you just tell me what's cool and where you want to go. I was like, Colorado, let's do it. And he's like, okay. 
So we planned the first mission trip that I went on was in, in ninth grade, and I invited my friends. We went to Leadville, Colorado, and we helped a small church out there do some projects for them, for their parishioners, for the community, cleaned up a graveyard. So it was very cool. So we did a week of mission work, and then I convinced him that a week wasn't enough. We're, we're going to drive for two days to get out to Colorado. We like need another week to do cool stuff. So we did a week of mission work, and then we did a week of camping, which is, if you guys know me, a lot of you guys do, camping in the outdoors, that's my thing. So I planned all the big parks, Estes, you know, all, you name it. We climbed mountains. We, did, we had a blast. And that continued through high school. We did a mission trip in Vermont. We went down to Miami after Hurricane Andrew. And we always did two weeks. We did a week of mission work and a week of fun. And I could always get my friends to come because guess what? Guess what I did? I sold them on the fun. I'm not stupid. Like, I sold, like, no, we're going to go camping in Colorado for a week. And they're like, I'm in. I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to do a week of mission work, too. But that's how I got them there. But all through that, all through my childhood years going to Sunday school, all through my years of leading mission trips, I became very, very close with Alan, the youth leader. He and I basically planned everything. But all through that, I never connected with what was going on. I knew all the Bible stories. I knew everything about Jesus. Not everything, but I thought I did. I knew pretty much what we teach the kid, but I never, I never connected. I was always disconnected. There was no relationship there. I didn't understand having a relationship with Jesus and how that worked, what that looked like. So when I left, high school and, and entered into college, as many of us do, I was given all this freedom. Do whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Take whatever classes you want. Go to whatever parties you want. You know that story. We've heard it a million times. And I drifted away in my college years. I drifted away from Christ, and, and eventually I became not a Christian. I just wasn't. And the reason why I wasn't a Christian is because what I saw from the Christian community, I didn't like. I saw judgment, I saw condemnation, I saw pointing out each other's flaws, telling people what sin they were in the middle of, and I just did not want to be a part of that. And all through my 20s, my mom and dad would ask me every so often, and we'd, we'd argue about it, to be honest, and they'd ask me, Please, you know, you really got to get back to church. I'd say, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, and I'd blow them off. And the reason why I blew them off time and time again is because every time that subject came up, those judgmental voices rang in my head. I didn't want to be associated with that. I didn't want someone to look at me when I said, you know what, I'm a Christian, and immediately think, man, you're judgmental. I didn't want that. I didn't want that in my life. So we'll fast forward past my 20s to around 30 years old, I was in some dark spots. I was making mistakes, gentlemen, that were colossal. And I'm, I'm not going to go into those because uh, a lot of those are private and it doesn't really matter. But where that took me was into a very, very dark place. I knew they were mistakes. And looking back, God was working on me during that time going, man, these are some serious issues that you've caused. And I fell into a pretty deep depression. I was to a point where I pretty much didn't leave my house or my basement. It got to a point where my closest friend called me, and he knew the only way that he could get me out of the house was fishing. 
So he's like, come on. He begged. He's like, come on, dude. You got to get out. You got to get out of the house. Yeah, I know, I know life sucks right now. I get that. But just come fishing. And I don't know if you guys fish, but if you do, this might resonate with you. It's really funny because whenever I get back from a fishing trip for the first, I don't know, 10 years of my marriage, my wife would be like, hey, did you catch anything? And like, yeah, yeah, we caught a bunch of fish. Oh, what'd you guys talk about? Nothing. Like literally nothing. She's like, no, you had, to, you had to have talked about something. I'm like, well, there were two topics. Are you getting any bites? And can I get another beer out of the cooler that you're carrying? That was, those were the two topics. So we didn't really talk about anything, right? And that day was a, a typical day. We were fishing and not really talking about anything but fishing. And my, my friend looks at me and he says, hey, I know you've been struggling really, really bad lately. And I was like, yeah, um, thanks for bringing that up. Let's just not talk about it. And he was like, no, 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 just hear me out. I'm not going to bug you long about this. He said, and I believe his, uh, his exact words were, I know you've been going through a really, really tough time, but I think it's time you get your head out of your ass and go back to your roots and talk to God about these things. And I was just like, bro, listen, I, I know you're a, a man of faith. I know that you go to church every week. That's just not my thing. It's not where I connect, where I want to be. And he's like, no, listen, just please. He's like, I know my church isn't for you. So he's like, you pick a church, any church you want, and we'll take both of our families and just go once and I'll leave you alone. And I was like, dude, if you leave me alone right now, and just let me fish, I will go to church with you on Sunday. So we did. So his family, my family went to church, and I was begrudgingly there, right? I didn't really want to be there. I was just doing this so my buddy would shut up and let me fish. The hymns were sung, and, you know, it was the whole, it was a Presbyterian church. So, like, everything from my childhood came back. And I was like, I know this. This is familiar. I know that. I, know, I get that. And the pastor came up and, and he said, we're going to talk about forgiveness today. And in my head, I said, oh, forgiveness and treat others well and do unto others as they will have them do unto you, blah, 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 blah. And the pastor said, you're probably thinking about forgiveness of others. And you're probably thinking do unto others as they will have them do unto you, blah, blah. He even said blah, blah, blah. And I turned to my wife. My eyes had to have been this big. And I was like, babe, did I say that out loud? And she, shh, she just shushed me. And he went on to talk about how forgiving others is easy. But there's one person on the earth that is almost impossible to forgive, and that's yourself. And I was just like blown away. Blown away, because that was my struggle. All those epic, colossal mistakes and failures that were plaguing me at that time of my life, I just could not get over them. It was like a spiral. I would start to climb back up, and I would be like, okay, I'm all right, I'm, I'm gonna get through this, and then boom, back down again. I just could not forgive myself. And so I left there, and I was different. And I was like, man, I need to know how to forgive myself. So I started looking at the Bible again. I started looking for answers. If it's so hard or almost impossible, well, then how do I do it? And the answer, man, is you can't. 
You just can't. If you could, then there would be no need for Jesus to come down and forgive us and take away all those things that plague our minds. So there I was, renewed, reborn, born again, whatever you want to call it, and I immediately dove back into the church. In fact, I remember vividly at the time, I said, I need to do student ministry. I have no idea why, but I know that I'm supposed to do student ministry. So I've done that for the last 10 plus years. I've done student ministry. The reason why I knew I had to do that is because I knew that there were guys like me that were going to youth group, that were going to student ministry, that were in the same boat that I was, that would never connect, would never get it, would never understand, and they would go off into their college years, and they would drift away, and they would repeat exactly what I went through as a younger man. So that's why I do student ministry. And then from there, I was blessed enough to, to meet Jay and his family, become part of this group, come to lead this group, become part of the Big C and Hymns and Hope and all this amazing community, right? I'm so blessed. And then the last 18 months hit. And man, let me tell you, brothers, I struggled the last 18 months. I really did. Still do a little bit. On the other side, I would say. But my struggles were with judgment again. Judgment kept coming up. COVID judgment, political judgment, social judgment. Everywhere I looked, everywhere I went, I saw the brothers and sisters in Christ that I had grown to love and adore be venomous towards one another and towards non-Christians and bicker and fight. It caused me to leave social media. I don't do that anymore. I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? Uh, but I, I literally deleted my Facebook I don't use it anymore because it's all I saw all through quarantine, all through last summer when all the protests and things were happening. That's all I saw was judgment and condemnation and backlash. And it caused me to question my faith again. I was like, man, this is why I didn't come back to the church so many times through my 20s. This is exactly why I was like, I don't want to be called a Christian. I don't want to be associated with a group that just constantly judges and condemns folks. I just don't. So I prayed through it. I looked at my Bible. I studied verses, which I'm going to share with you here in a little bit. But God revealed one thing to me, and he brought me back, and he said, hey, oh, hey, wait a second. People are flawed. I am not. Your relationship with me is what you need to focus on. And then he ultimately revealed something else to me. He's like, the problem isn't the people or what's happening or the issues. The underlying cause is the judgment. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, gentlemen. Hope you're ready for it. As Aji and Kishore do a lot of times, I'm going to give you the, the big idea or the underlying theme here. Judgment is the biggest issue in our church. It is. It's unfortunately not new, and it's getting worse. Judgment is the largest, the largest turnoff to non-Christians, which blocks our ability to spread the gospel and to share God's love with others. And ultimately, it blocks the Great Commission. So let's take a look at what the scriptures say. You can go to your first page there in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. 
Let's see what the Bible says about judgment. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck that's in your brother's eye? But you don't notice that giant log you're carrying around in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in yours? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So let's look at that same passage because it, it, it hits a little different uh, in Luke. It's the, same, it's the same one. Jesus is telling the same thing, and he says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, or you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Why do you look at that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay zero attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. There it is again. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. Did you catch what Jesus said there? I mean, I emphasize it pretty good, so hopefully. It's you hypocrite. Wow, it's a little harsh, but it's honest. I mean, Jesus wasn't really harsh all throughout the gospel. I mean, he only really got super angry one time. That's when he flipped the tables, right? But you hypocrite, it's pretty harsh. What a hypocrite we are then. Men, when we pass judgment on somebody else's life or somebody else's sin, are you living perfectly? No, of course not. So who are we to judge somebody else's struggles or somebody else's sin? Let's go on to James. James, James, the brother of Jesus. We've learned this. We've been in a study of James for like 72 years now, and I love it, right? But James, the brother of Jesus, spells it out really well. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. That's, that's the Bible, folks. Speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Did you guys notice in verse 12 there, the lawgiver and the judge are capitalized? That's the Lord. When's the last time you heard a brother or a sister talk badly about somebody? Slam them, maybe for something because they don't like something they're doing or they don't agree with it? Or how about make a, a sly joke that makes it seem like, oh, ha ha, just kidding, when everybody in the room knows what you were really saying? 
When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and that's our almighty God. So who are you? As it says, who are you to judge somebody else? And men, listen to me. I don't care what it's for. I don't care what sin it is. It doesn't matter. Until we're sinless, we are in no place to judge. Let's go into Romans, see what Romans has to say about judgment. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on somebody else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you pass judgment, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Well, that's pretty clear. We have no excuse for judgment of others. Zero. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin, guys, is sin is sin. It's all the same. As I just said that, you might be thinking to yourself, Chris, hold on a second. I get it. You know, they're all whatever. But obviously murder is worse than stealing a candy bar or or lust, you know, looking at the girl at the gym in front of you in the yoga pants. Like murder is way, way worse than that, right? Well, I don't know. Let's take a look at a different verse. I'm going to set up the next one. It's Luke 23, 40 to 43. We all know this story. Jesus is on the cross. He's already been tortured. He's already been beaten. He's already been stripped of his clothes. He's already been nailed to that cross. And there's three crosses, as you guys know. So there's a guy on either side of him. And one guy is kind of like a lesser criminal. And the other guy is like a major, major bad guy. Okay? Like serious, serious bad guy. Okay, so there, the group that followed Jesus' executioners up on that hill, there was a group that followed them, and they were throwing garbage at him and tomatoes and ridiculing him, mocking him, spitting at him, right? And that lesser criminal on the right, he was like, yeah, and he joined in. Can you imagine that? You're nailed to a cross too, and you're like, ha-ha, look at like, the guy next to you? So that guy joined in, the lesser criminal, but the, the major one, the guy who did, like, the worst of the worst things, that's where we pick up on Luke 23, 40. But the other rebuked him. He's talking to the lesser criminal, right? And he says, do you not fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this murderer, he was a murderer. He was a thief. And in some commentaries, if you read, he was a rapist. So this guy is completely forgiven by one simple act of faith. Jesus didn't look at him and go, bro, I appreciate your backup on this, but you've done some pretty terrible things. And you're going to need to work a little bit harder to, to reach the kingdom of heaven. Like, paradise? You, you want to be in paradise with me? Like, come on, you just literally murdered a dude like three days ago. No, Jesus didn't say that. One act of faith. 
one act. And Jesus was like, you're with me, buddy. Let's go. So stop ranking sin, guys. It doesn't matter. Sin is sin is sin. Your sin is the same as my sin, is the same as somebody else's sin. You may be sitting there and you may be thinking to yourself, all right, I get you, Chris. I'm with you. Like, we're not supposed to judge. We're supposed to be cool with others. I, I'm, I think I'm pretty cool with other people. I don't see any issues in my life. I try to get along with anybody and everybody. But brothers, I'm telling you this. We need to work diligently because we all have it. We all have judgment in our lives. And we need to work diligently every single day to get rid of every single speck of it out of our lives. Maybe you have a family member that makes just really bad decisions. Maybe you judge them for that. Maybe you have a coworker that just has the worst work ethic ever. Maybe you're judging them for that. Maybe you have judgment over what somebody looks like. Maybe you have judgment over their political affiliations, whether they're pro-life or pro-choice. Maybe you have judgment over somebody's lifestyle who they choose to love, what pronoun they want to be called. Maybe that's your area where you're like, man, I just, I got to judge that. That's just wrong. Guys, remember, sin is sin is sin. So let's take a look at some examples that might make you think of some of those things a little bit differently. In Romans 12, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of lower position. Don't be conceited. Don't re repay anyone evil for evil. Careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for all are one in Christ Jesus. And then I'm going to do one more, and then I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So Samuel, 1 Samuel 16 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So in the last 18 months or so, when I read through these scriptures, God really put social injustice on my heart. And it was, it was broken. Who here has judged someone for supporting a social injustice issue that you just can't agree with? Who here looked last summer and was like, man, what's going on in Minneapolis or Seattle or Kentucky is just crazy. And I, I just cannot agree with it. Who judged those were, that were out there protesting, probably taking things a little bit far? Who judged them? Who here maybe even judged entire movements like Black Lives Matter or defund the police. Hear me, gentlemen. Do not confuse a flawed organization with the hearts of people. They're not the same. So there's groups of people, there's massive groups of people out there that were and that are still hurting. They're feeling oppressed. They're feeling mistreated. Jesus calls us to respond in love, acceptance, and listen to them with compassion. He does not call us to respond with evil for evil. 
He does not call us to respond with judgment. He does not call us to respond with things like, oh, but all lives matter. You might not think, well, Chris, obviously, all lives do matter, right? That, why is that not a good thing to say? Why is that insulting? Well, let me put it to you this way. We've been blessed enough to be taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And so picture this. Jesus is up on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preaching, and there's people everywhere, right? And he's saying, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. And you stand up and says, oh, whoa, whoa, Jesus. Yo, blessed are everybody. That's pretty awkward. Or how about this? You might have seen this on social media. It, it went around last year before I gave up on, on that platform. But it's this. So your house is on fire. And you see the fire department, and they're rolling down the street. The sirens are blaring. The, 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 the lights are going, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And you're like, wave, and you're standing in the street. You're like, yo, hey, uh, house on fire over here. But the fire department just rolls on by. You're like, why? You're, you're waving them down, and you're screaming. And then you see them, and they're, they're taking their hoses out, and they're, and they're turning them on, and they're spraying your neighbor's house. And you're like, wait a second. Hold on. My house is on fire. My neighbor's house isn't on fire. It's mine. Over here. See the smoke? My house is on fire. And the firefighter says, you know what? All houses matter. So someone that is feeling mistreated and oppressed, gentlemen, most of us here, I'd say probably 99% have never experienced social injustice. We never have. Your house isn't on fire. So maybe we need to respond like Jesus would. Maybe we need to respond with love and compassion and friendship. We'll take a look here in a little bit on who Jesus' friends were, but just think about that the next time some of those issues come out and that judgment in your heart. When, there, when, when, when the next social injustice issue comes up and there's, there's protests and there's violence and you're like, man, I cannot believe that. I hope you think of this message. Judgment could be an issue for you in today's political environment. Do you think your views or your candidate is better than the other? Let's take a look and see what the scriptures say about that. So go to Romans 13.1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Hmm. So you're telling me that Paul, in the middle of one of the most brutal regimes in the history of this planet, the Roman Empire, is telling us and telling the Romans, like, oh, chill. I know that they're putting you in gladiator arenas and executing you and mistreating you, but hey, submit and respect the government. No matter who it is? Wait a second. So you're telling me that says, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So Trump was placed there by God? Wow. Okay. Wait a second. That means Biden was too. Right? He's in a position of authority. He was placed there by God. But then again, maybe human beings were able to pull a fast one and cheat God. That would be a pretty incredible feat, cheating God, wouldn't it? 
So seriously, though, when can we stop being divided by politics and start being unified through the love of God? Is it tonight? We are unified by the love of Christ, period. The authority has been placed there by God. It doesn't matter. He is the authority. Or maybe those last two examples didn't resonate with you, and you're like, Chris, yeah, I get that. You want, to do a, you want to do a little tougher one? All right, let's go. Let's dig in. How about the LGBTQ plus community? How you guys doing there in judgment of that community? Think you're doing well? Let's take a look at a few scriptures and see if I might be able to just change your perspective a little bit. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Check out the note there. The Greek word, I'm going to butcher this, if you're Greek, sorry, arsenokadai, or however you pronounce that, more accurately translates to men who sleep with male prostitutes. It's a little different. Remember when I said sin is sin is sin. Anyone have any sexually immoral thoughts? Because we've already learned from Kishore and from Scripture that a thought is the same as doing it. So anybody have sexually immoral thoughts? Anybody idolize something? Maybe a person? Maybe money? Maybe status? Maybe a job? Anybody ever commit adultery? Again, remember, men, just if it's in your mind, then it's the same as doing it. Well, that's all in the same category, all in the same verse. Sin is sin is sin. Leviticus 18.22, did not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Check out the note. The literal translation in the original Hebrew is, and with male you shall not lie lyings with woman. Okay, not helpful, but the word translated as lyings is miskeve, M-I-S-K-E-V-E. And it's only found one other place in Genesis 49.4, where it's referring to incest. In Leviticus, this verse is a list of prohibitions about having sex with family members. Obviously, right? Like, no. So is it reasonable to conclude that this is also a prohibition on incest? And this one isn't in your notes, but because uh, it's a really long story. And actually, Aji um, shared this story a while back for a, a different message for a different reason. But I want to share this again. If you were here, just bear with me. If you weren't here, this will be new to you. So you've all heard the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm assuming, right? Where it was like Vegas times 10 billion, like anything goes, sleep with anyone, do anything you wanted, murder, whatever, rape, whatever you wanted, anything goes in this town. And God ultimately was like, yep, I I've had enough, that town's going down, right? You guys know that story. Do you know this part of the story? So when the angels were sent to warn Lot, so two angels were sent to warn Lot, hey, get your family, get the heck out of Dodge, I'm about to bring hellfire, and this place is going to be a crispy critter here in less than 24 hours. 
So angels with Lot, right? So the town caught wind that these angels were in Lot's house. And so the entire town stormed the house and they're pounding on the door. They've got pitchforks, they've got, they've got torches, they've got whatever weapons they can muster up and they demand Lot give up the angels so that they can rape them. Yikes. So Lot panics, right? He's like, whoa, 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 these are angels. You can't, guys can't do this. This is crazy. You can't do this. You guys got to go away. The crowd would not go away. They were like, we are not leaving here until we have sex with something. So you know what Lot did? Gave up his underage children. Wow. So you guys think, and I know homosexuality is mentioned in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you think that maybe that wasn't his focus? And maybe that the sexual assault and incest and pedophilia was? I don't know. Those are three out of the six times that homosexuality is mentioned in the Bible. And the other times usually reference one of the ones that I just said. If all of those aren't exactly what you thought they meant, maybe our perspectives shift. So here's the thing. I could go on and on. I could give you more examples in the Greek about how we may be misinterpreting things about a loving, God-centered, same-sex couple. Because remember, sin is sin is sin. I'm not here to tell you whether homosexuality is a sin or if it's not. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But ultimately, my opinion doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. We are not to judge them. We are not to mistreat them. We are to do the same thing that we do with each other. Relationship, loving, accepting, understanding. How are you guys doing with that? So hold on a second. You might have thought to yourself, Chris, wait a minute. I don't know any loving, God-centered, same-sex couples. Well, there's two problems with that. The first problem is the reason why you don't know that many or any loving, God-centered, same-sex couples is because, brothers, we have done a horrible job with that community. They don't want anything to do with us because we've judged them for years and years and years, and they're tired of it. Then there's the second problem. Why don't you have any gay friends? Shouldn't we be building relationships with them so we can show them the love of Christ too? Imagine, guys, imagine what we could do to entire communities, entire social groups, entire races by eliminating judgment. Instead, we focus on the love of Christ, building relationships, building friendships with those who would never expect us to. Blow their minds. What would the world be like? What would the church be like? That's exactly what Jesus did. He showed up, and all the religious elite were like, whoa, what are you doing? Who are you hanging out with? What in the world? No, uh uh-uh. You're a drunkard and you hang out with sinners, just like Jesus did. Let's look at it. Luke 15, 1 to 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers, those are the religious elite, quote unquote, and they muttered, this man comes and welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ugh. Or how about Matthew 9, 9 to 13? As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew, we know him, sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
He walks up and he says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. I'm going to pause there. You guys know this, but I want to make sure you know this. Tax collectors were the most hated group of people on earth at that time. And the reason was is because they were your friends and they were your neighbors. And they came around knocking on your door, collecting money for the Roman Empire. And they would never collect what they were supposed to collect. They would collect more than they were supposed to collect. So they were rich when they shouldn't have been. They were skimming off the top. They were stealing from their friends and their family. Like they were hated, okay? So let's go back to Matthew, picking up in 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's pretty obvious who Jesus hung out with. He chose to build relationships and show love to those in society that were oppressed, that were mistreated, and that were judged. Over and over, Jesus chastised the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers and repeatedly told them, like, hey, I'm not here for you. I'm here for everyone. So that's our call, man, to love without judgment, to build relationships like Jesus did so we can share our story and ultimately share his story. Look at John 15, 12 to 13. It says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus loved us enough that he died the most brutal death on a cross for each and every one of us on this earth. That's the standard. That's the standard. He just told us, love others as I have loved you. Jesus gave up his life for everyone on earth throughout the history of time, no matter what they did, no matter what their sin is. That's the standard. How are we doing? Not so good, I would imagine. So let me uh, read this last verse, and then I'm going to tell you a story and, and wrap up. Luke 10, 25 to 28 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up, to put him to the test. He thinks he's going to catch Jesus. He thinks, all right, Jesus, you think you are who you say you are? You think you know it all? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he answered to him, you have answered correctly and you will live. I changed that a little bit, combined that last verse with this one, because I'm, I'm not the best at loving myself all the time. So I switched that up slightly, and I say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, and you will love your neighbor as I have loved you. Period. That's it. You guys want to know the gospel? You want to be able to share the gospel with somebody? You want to tell somebody what it is to be a Christian? There it is, black and white, actually red, I think, because Jesus was talking. I'm going to finish up with another story, and this story Aji told as well. Um, this is a, a true story. 
And uh, he told this a few years ago, actually. We were still back in Generosa. But stay with me. If you've heard it, don't spoil it. And if you haven't heard it, I hope it gives kind of an exclamation point on the end of, of this message. So in India, uh, there was a young man. And I don't know if you guys know about India or not, but they have, for a long, long, long time, have been in a caste system. So what that means is there's classes. There's upper class, there's upper middle, there's middle, you know, so on and so forth. This particular gentleman from India was considered a low-class Indian. So he was not allowed in a lot of places that, that people, you know, that, that, that everyone else was. He was just looked down upon. But he was on fire for learning about faith. So he studied every religion, like everyone, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, you name it. He studied it, and he studied it hard. And so he came across the New Testament. He read the Torah, the other books, came across the New Testament, and saw and heard and read about Jesus. And he was like, bro. I'm pretty sure he said bro. He was like, bro, I have to know more about this. I have to know more about this guy. There's no chance that I can go through the rest of my life and not know more about this guy. He stood out. Jesus stood out so much that this low-class guy from India said, I got to go to church. Christian churches were for whites only back in that time. And so he was not welcome there. And especially being low-class, he was not welcome there. So he was bold enough and was on fire enough by reading about Jesus that he actually went to a church and snuck in and like sat in the last pew and he's like slumped down. He's like, I hope nobody sees me. And the people of that church eventually saw him and they walked up to him and they said, what are you doing here? You're not allowed here. This is not for your kind. Get out. And they threw him out. And that man was Mahatma Gandhi changed the world, influenced billions of people. And Gandhi has a famous quote, and that quote is, I would be Christian if it weren't for all the Christians. Think about that, men. One act of judgment in our time, like Gandhi lived when I was alive, one act of judgment in our time changed the world. Imagine if that church welcomed him with open arms and said, man, I am so glad you came to learn about Jesus. That is so awesome. Let me tell you all about him. He's the best. Let's go. Let's go have lunch. Let's go have dinner. Let's go hang out. Let's go drink some wine together. Billions of lives could have been affected, but they weren't because one act of judgment. If you think about my life, I could have been judged. That best friend of mine that I told you that dragged me to church, he knew all my dark stuff. He knew everything that I did. Maybe one of the few people on the planet that still to this day knows all the, all the crap that I went through and all the colossal mistakes that I made. He didn't judge me. He loved me enough, and he invited me to church. If he didn't do that, I wouldn't be here. That's it, period. I wouldn't be here. I love it here, brothers. <laughs> I love you guys. I can't imagine being in a different place in my life. I love my life now. I love the Lord. I love what I do. 
I love my ministries. I love it. But judgment multiple times in my life almost cost me being here, being with the Lord, being forgiven, being with you guys in eternity. That's what's at stake here. So what are we doing? What are we doing, men? As we move into this time of reflection, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you a person or a group that you have judged in the past. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for the strength to go out and make friends with that person or for someone from that group. Get to know them. Build a relationship with them. Share your story and let God do the rest. Well, were you challenged? A message like this might have to be something you listen to a couple times, so feel free to always come back to the podcast and give it another listen. We all need to work on being less judgmental to some extent, so you're not alone in your endeavors. If you want to support the Pops Podcast, feel free to share this message or any of our episodes with your friends and family. But until next time, thanks for tuning in and God bless.